Well, you are here on a very, very good day. This is a message that I, like I said earlier, have been looking forward to bringing to you uh, ever since we started the Who is Jesus series. Now, like I mentioned before, uh, the story of Jesus' life um, is, is one that our culture, our society, has gotten a little confused around uh, through the time since his life, death, and burial, and resurrection. Because of that, there's a lot of different ideas of who Jesus is. So you get the WWJD bracelet, and it's pretty much a free-for-all, right? What would Jesus do? Well, you know, whatever you think he would do, that's what he would do. <laughs> Doesn't necessarily work like that. Jesus has been given to us, like we talked about last week, as God's representation of God himself on the earth so that we could see this huge, huge God in human flesh. He would teach us about God. He would show us what God would do. And if you're interested in finding out what Jesus was like, just crack open the Gospels. It's all right there. You don't need to wonder what would Jesus do. You already know because he already has did it and he's shared it with us in his word. When we go through this series, we, I'm anxious to get to this one because it is about forgiveness. There's a story I'm going to pick out to kind of get us on the same page. And like I said, you, you've actually heard this opening illustration before, but it's too good to let go. Our first time at the Great Wolf Lodge was when Abigail was just a baby. Abigail is now our oldest, but she was just a baby at the time, and we went to the Great Wolf Lodge. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but this is when they first invented at the, in, in this uh, Wisconsin area this huge bucket you know the bucket I'm talking about? This bucket is full of gallons and gallons of water. And it hangs, it hangs way up in the sky near the roof of this huge room. And in this indoor water park at the Great Wolf Lodge, you'll look up and see this huge bucket filling over time with just little drip, drips of water. And over time, little drips, it's just this constant flow. And over time, as the bucket fills, you'll hear it ding, 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 and the bucket is then tipped over, and all of those gallons of water pour down onto the ground. Now, if you're brave enough, you can take it upon yourself to stand right under that big bucket of water. And if you could take it, if you're a big, strong person, and you can take it, you can stand there while that bucket pours over you, and it literally, it looks terrifying. I looked at it the first time that I saw it and I thought, yeah, I could do that, I'm a big strong guy. But Abigail was to the point where she was kind of interested in it as well, but I knew if that bucket fell over on her, you know, throw her to the other side of the room. So I took Abigail in my arms and she's, she and I are standing there and you're just freezing, you're just standing there freezing, waiting, you know, you're waiting and you hear the ding, ding, ding and you're thinking to yourself, it's coming, man, it's coming. You don't dare look up because that'll crack your spine, right? So you just stand there and you're just standing there waiting for this big bucket to pour over you and then all of a sudden, the thing turns over and you feel this huge weight of water bash on the top of you and it just drenched. You think our baptisms here, we drench people? It's nothing compared to what that bucket does at the Great Wolf Lodge. We should do a baptism there. That would be a good drenching. I held on to Abigail and when that, that bucket came over, I knew it was going to be powerful, but I had no idea how much. It almost knocked me to my knees. I held Abigail on so tightly, trying to protect her from it. And after we were done, she said, Daddy, that was fun. Let's do it again. And I'm going, nah, once is good. I'm, I'm good to go. God's grace, church, is just like that bucket. We live our lives, no matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, we are poured upon by God's grace on a regular basis to the extent where it's so heavy at times that, that we don't even realize how much grace we're receiving. We receive it drip, 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 maybe sometimes, maybe a flow sometimes, but ultimately, if you were to add it all up, church, the way that God pours out his grace on us to bring us through what we're, what we're going through to give us hope, like the song we just sang, if, even, even when we're struggling with personal sins, we know that there's an advocate with the Father and his name is Jesus Christ. We have constant access to God's presence. We have his hand of blessing in our lives. 
We have the church that he has blessed us with. There are so many blessings that God pours out on us on a regular basis. Sometimes we don't even realize we're getting it until the bucket pours out and we get a big dose. All people have this in common, but not all people acknowledge it. Some are being torn down by life so much that they don't even see the blessings any longer. Some have been abused by others out of no fault of their own, and they're just wondering when the blessings are coming, when the, where the grace is at all. Some just choose to stay in broken places because they've been hurt so much, they choose to reject the fact that that bucket is there and available. This past week, somebody tried to steal my identity. Uh, they were on the phone, and I was on the phone with them, and it would, they were very slick at what they did. And I, I don't usually fall for this. I'm kind of a savvy individual. I don't click on my emails and stuff like that, but this one looked so legit. And I talked to him for a while, and, and the whole time I'm not, re I'm, I'm a little suspicious. Uh, I'm, I'm not superstitious, I'm just a little stitious. And so I was kind of worrying about what this deal was, but I, I went along with it because he seemed extremely legit. There seemed to be something wrong with my account, and he was walking me through it, and it came through the right, the right channels and everything. By the end of it, he started asking some questions that I knew he was, I knew he was what, you know, he wasn't what he said he was. And I said, listen, I got to tell you, this sounds a lot like a scam. I think you're trying to scam me. And he immediately hung up the phone. So thank God I didn't, I didn't get my identity stolen. That's a pain I've heard, and I've never had a knock on wood. I started thinking, like, what should I have done in that circumstance? And I got to tell you, like, there's a whole, right after you hang up the phone, right after you realize you got, uh, you know, you got, you got gypped, you, 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 you played the, the fool. You think to yourself, of all the things you should have said to him, I'm thinking to myself, oh, I should have said this, oh, I should have said that. And then the Lord got a hold of my heart. You know what I should have said? I should have said, I should have immediately started praying for this individual on the phone. I should have said, Lord Jesus, I don't know what happened in this man's life to bring him to the place where he needs to steal other people's money so that he feels like he's, like he's doing something helpful for himself. I don't know what lie he's brought into. I don't know who's brought him to this place. I don't know what, what justification that he's had, but let him realize all the grace that he has missed from your hand and the lies that he has begun to believe to brought him, bring him to this place. I guarantee he would have hung up by that point. But I thought I should have prayed for him right there on the phone. There is a truth about life that we have all experienced the grace of God. It does not matter where you've been. Now, you may have, not, you may have only allowed yourself to feel the drips. But God waits to pour grace over us. And one way that he waits to pour grace over us is found in John chapter 8. This is a story that I want to go with you, over with you today. It's found in John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. You're probably familiar with this passage of Scripture and if you're not, it's a great one. Here's how it starts. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. This is not just another day for Jesus. Just another day of ministry. He's gathering a following by this point. It's only John chapter eight. It's kind of early in his ministry, but he's gathering a following because everybody wants to hang out with him and see the magic tricks. It's pretty cool, you know, you don't got social media, you don't got TV, you don't have all of those things, so you want to go see something entertaining. Jesus, he's always healing a leper here, casting out a demon there. It's kind of entertaining. And if you're lucky, he might feed you some fish and some loaves from just this little boy's lunch. You never know what you're going to get when you hang out with Jesus. So he's gathering this following. And not only that, but his teaching's pretty cool too because he's always taking on the big guys. And that's always good to see. You want to see the big guys take it in the chin. So once in a while, Jesus is teaching, and he'll say, and look at those people over there, the, your leaders, you know, and he'll talk about them, and you're going, yeah, stick it to them. He was entertaining. So he was gathering a crowd. Verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, the Sanhedrin, you should know, these guys, their only job was to guard the sanctity of the temple. They had to make sure that no sin gets in. <laughs> they, they were the, the sin police, if you would. They would, they would 
go sometimes way out of their way to make sure that there's no sin in people's lives when they enter into the temple to worship. It's a sin-free zone. So once in a while, if they knew you had a sin in your heart once and, or in your life, once in a while they'd even set you up. They'd even set you up so that sin comes out. It can't be, dis, it can't be uh, dissuaded. I mean, you, can't, can't, you know you've caught them red-handed. So they would set people up to catch them red-handed. And this sounds like a setup. I might even guess that the man with her might have been a plant. Because there's no man listed in the scripture. There's only the woman. Either way, there was a well-drilled hole in the well-placed wall so that people could get caught doing adultery. So what did they do with this poor lady? They immediately snatch her up Caught in the act. How embarrassing would that be? Caught in the act, they drag her out of where she's at and they throw her in Jesus, at Jesus' feet. You ever get caught in the act? You ever, you ever get caught doing something you knew you shouldn't be doing? That You get that, that just feeling of hotness that rises and your ears get hot and you're probably thinking to yourself, Craig, how do you know that feeling? Uh-huh, caught in the act. When you get caught in the act, it's enough to deal with the embarrassment, but then to have somebody snatch you away, bring you into a public area where there are a multitude of people gathered, throw you into the dirt and say, we caught you committing adultery. How would that make you feel? No loving eyes, only judging gazes from people who know they are better than you. Her sin was on display, she was alone, nobody would stand with her. Her family by this point has probably forsaken her, they've probably known this has gone on for a while, they're not gonna stand with her. I mean, she is literally by herself exposed. Some might even be tempted to say if you were tempted to stand with her, hey listen, yeah, that girl, I warned her. I told her years ago that her decisions were gonna lead her to this place. I told her she was making bad, bad decisions. I, I went to her, I offered her help, but she didn't want my help, and now look at her, she's gonna get what she deserves. The vile truth is these proud men used this broken woman not to get her life clean, but to trap Jesus. <laughs> so whose sin was greater? Verse five. Now in the law, the men said to Moses, or the men said to Jesus, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? It's a double whammy. It's a double setup. They set up the girl. Now they got, they got her. They'll throw her at Jesus' feet, and now they're going to set Jesus up. Because Jesus has said several things, and he's got to contradict one of them. They said, Moses tells us we got to stone this woman. What do you say? Are you going to go against Moses? Are you going to go against the scripture? Jesus, you have that much authority? You're going to start rewriting God's word? You who always says, have you not read or it is written as it is written? Yeah, this is what's written. This woman should be stoned. What are you going to do? They trap, they're trying to trap them. These weasels. And if Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to forfeit all of my whole teaching and I'm, I'm going to go against Moses because I love this woman and you people are, you're just snakes anyway and I'm going to go with this woman because I have said, blessed are those who are persecuted, blessed are those, I, I have said, come to me all you who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest and I got, to, I got to hold up that part of my ministry. You see, they got Jesus. He's either going to contradict Moses or he's going to contradict himself. That's how they think they got him. This is, as you read through this story, it doesn't leap off the page like this, but when you dig in, you understand these guys have Jesus in a, in a tough, tough spot. What is Jesus going to do? Verse 6, they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. So what does Jesus do, church? He just bends down on the ground and writes in the dirt. 
up to now, these, these temple leaders have been trying to charge Jesus with all kinds of stuff. They don't believe he's a Messiah, so they're trying to charge him with all kinds. They ask him questions about taxes and marriage and heaven. They've asked him all these different questions, just trying to trap him. Maybe he's not as smart as he thinks he is. Maybe he's going to contradict himself. They're trying to trap him. And so at this point, they said, okay, this has to do with the very word of God. This one, he can't go against the law. Because if he does, he's dis, dis, uh, dis, uh, disqualified. But he can't go with the law or else he'll lose his followers. And it is a nail biter and the woman's life hangs in the balance. So what does Jesus do? <laughs> he just bends down and writes on the ground. What do you think he wrote on the ground? We're not told what he wrote on the ground. You wanna, you wanna know what I hope he wrote on the ground? This is what I, and this is why you, you, you probably think to yourself, Craig doesn't seem like much of a pastor. And I'm gonna tell you something to agree with you on this. Because what I think Jesus should have wrote on the ground is all of the sins of the people who were standing around him. Just start writing them down on the ground. Isn't that awful? Don't I have a vindictive spirit? Verse 7, as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then once more he bent and wrote on the ground. Do you know what I hope he wrote down this time? All of their names beside the sins that he wrote on the ground. <laughs> I am a horrible individual, I know, but that's where my mind goes with this story. Whatever he wrote, it was, enough of the, it was enough for those proud, proud men to drop the stones and walk away, verse 9. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And this woman's day changes. Whatever decisions she has made up to this point have been bad decisions, questionable decisions, decisions she thought she may not have had a choice in to lead her to this place where she is lying exposed in front of the crowd in her sin. But her day is about to change for eternity. Like the thief on the cross, this day that should have been the end turns out to be the best day ever. Verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, oh, you gotta say this, church. Will you say it with me? Because at home, will you say this with me? This is really good. Jesus said, here we go. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. How would you like Jesus to look you in the eyeball and say, I do not condemn you? I don't know about you, but even the thoughts that I had for that guy just trying to steal my identity and things I should have said to him on the phone before I went to the prayer option, I'm reminded to myself how fallen I am. And it's good to be reminded that I serve a Savior who looks me in the eyeball and says, I'm, I don't condemn you for that. God's grace works like that. In our worst moments, we see what we've missed for so long. This woman's day turns out to be the worst day of her life and now the best day of her life. You know the best thing that happened to the thief on the cross? He got crucified by Jesus. Because if that man hadn't been crucified by, beside Jesus, he would go to eternity into a worse place than a cross. And this woman, the, best day of her, the worst day of her life has now turned into the best day of her life. She gets to look at God and hear his words I do not condemn you. Jesus helped this woman to realize freedom for herself. Notice how he says it. He looks at her and he says, where are your accusers? He doesn't say, he, he doesn't try and make her feel better about herself. He doesn't look at her and say, you've been a victim. These men were mean to you. And, and you've been a victim here and you should feel okay now. You, you're the one that's oppressed. These men were mean to you. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't even acknowledge that she didn't do the sin. He doesn't pretend anything that's not true. Instead, what he gets her to see is he gets her to lift up her head and look around her and say, 
look, where are the accusers that brought you here? And she said, there's no one here anymore. The rocks are on the ground. And Jesus says, neither do I accuse you. Now go and sin no more. How is it possible that this woman was free? She didn't change in that moment, right? She's, she's an adulterer. She literally is an adulterer. The accusers didn't change. They just went to another location. The setting didn't change. There's still all these people around listening and watching to what's going on, this public humiliation. What is the factor that has changed where Jesus can say to this woman, there is no one to accuse you? The only thing that has changed is this woman has become aware of the presence that she's standing in. She's standing in the presence of God. Her awareness of what has happened brings the change in her life. You see, God knows who we are. Romans 3.11, it says, no one understands, no one seeks after God, all have turned aside, they have altogether become worthless, no one does good. How many people do good, church? Not even one. This woman simply came to the same conclusion as everybody who comes to, the conclusion everyone comes to when they come to Jesus Christ. We have all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glory. Every one of us. God gave us the Ten Commandments, not so that we could try and follow them, <laughs> but so that we can look at them and say, oh man, I missed out on that. Oh, I missed out on that. Oh boy, I missed out on that. Oh boy, did I miss out on that one. We're supposed to be looking at the Ten Commandments. We're supposed to see, the, we're supposed to see who Jesus is and say to ourselves, I can never match up to that. That is why the law is given. It's a taskmaster, the Bible calls it, because it's meant to show us where we fall short. It's meant to reveal to us there is no one good, not even one. We, when we accept Jesus' offer of forgiveness, God does not, he does not ignore our sin. He chooses not to see it. God doesn't forget about our sin. I know he forgives and he forgets, but what we mean by forget is he chooses not to hold it against us any longer. God can't forget anything. You think elephants have a good memory. God can't forget anything. What it means is when God forgives us, he chooses never to hold it against us ever. God chose not to condemn her. Jesus chose not to condemn her. This woman was caught red-handed. She is an adulterer. He can't look at her and say, yeah, they, you just got a bad, this is a, just a bad day for you. I've met people who are crippled by guilt. They feel like their pasts have been so tainted that God could never use them, never love them, certainly never forgive them. They feel like they're permanently crippled by sin. If you're in that boat, I wanna give you just one verse because there's all kinds of them in the Bible and you need to grab a hold of these verses. Here's one of the best ones, Psalm 103.11. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You know why he doesn't throw them as far as the north is from the south? Because if you travel north enough, you'll eventually start heading south. But if you go east enough, you never start going west. When God throws his, his, our sins as far as the east is from the west, it means they cannot be found again. The only reason the woman was free to go is because Jesus chose to let her go chose not to remember her sins any longer. In Hebrews 8, 12, it says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. Church, if you are a child of God, if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, you will appear before God someday and forget the big screen TV that plays all of your sins before all of your neighbors and friends around you so they can see who you really were when you were on the earth. That's balarkey. That's not true. How can somebody play a movie if they've forgotten about all your sins? When you get to heaven, you're going you're gonna to stand before God and you're going to say, God, I know I blew it here and I know I did this there and I, and I, just, I was such a bad person. And, and God will say, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I, don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. You are my child. You are sinless. You are... You're not sinless, but you are perfect because you are cloaked in the blood of Jesus Christ. I choose not to remember your sins any longer. 
Wouldn't it be great to have Jesus look in your eye and say, I do not condemn you. But here's the problem. The wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. That cannot be changed. It is in God's word. It is a truth. The wages of sin is death. So church, somebody has to die. Somebody has to pay the bill. If I go to a restaurant and I take 20 of my good friends, which would be hard for me, but I'll find 20, give me enough time. So I take 20 of my friends, we do appetizers all around, we order the, we order the most expensive stuff in the restaurant. I mean, everything is like, it's, it's, like, it's party time. I want to impress everybody, give everybody a good night out. And of course, we got to finish with bread pudding for dessert because that's the best, right? So we have all of this food, we finish up, and then the bill comes. And I look at the bill and I realize, holy smokes, this is a lot of money. But then I look across the restaurant and I see another friend of mine that I forgot to invite. And that friend is sitting with at another table and I think to myself, that guy, yeah, he's a friend of mine. He owns the restaurant. So I take my bill over to my friend and I say, listen, 20 of my friends and myself, not you, but the rest of us, we just had a great time tonight. And this is my bill. It's a lot of money. I don't think I can pay it. And he goes, don't worry, Craig, I'll take care of it. I'm going, oh, you're so, next time it's 21 and you're, you're invited, all right? And I just feel so good. Let me ask you a question. Was the bill paid? Yeah. Did I pay the bill? He did. He may look at me and say, Craig, I own the restaurant, but the, the, the money's coming out of his pocket some way, somehow. Somebody has to pay the bill. I can walk away and say, hey, because I knew the owner of the restaurant, I got a free meal. Nope, somebody has to pay the bill. Jesus could forgive that lady of her sin. He could say to her, neither do I condemn you, but she's got a bill to pay. Someone's got to pay that bill. She has committed adultery. She has sinned against God. She has, she has been, become a rebel against, against God, and somebody has to pay her bill. And you know who paid her bill? Jesus did. He simply put her, her sins on the cross that he was about to bear. God shows his love for us in Romans 5, 8. It says in that while we were still sinners. Do you know what that actually says in the Greek? While we were still sinning, God died for us. Christ died for us. The major flaw in the illustration of me paying that restaurant bill is, is simply this. I can't afford the dinner no matter how much I try to. Only Jesus can pay the bill for sin. No one can pay the bill that they rack up against a holy God. And Jesus does not give a free pass in order to ignore sin. Jesus has to pay the bill. And he doesn't give us a free pass either. That's why when we read the story of the adulteress here, we must finish the story. Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. See, he didn't ignore the sin. He didn't pretend he didn't see it. He didn't, he didn't try and make her feel like a victim and, you know, it's not as bad as you think it is. He simply looked at her and said, you know who you are. I know who you are. I'll pay your bill. Accept it and go and sin no more. He didn't even say the accusers were wrong. Did you notice that? He didn't look at the girl and say, you know, these guys, they were wrong to do what they did. Never did that. She was a sinner, she was guilty, and she had to face that reality. Just like the guys holding stones had to face the reality. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. You know what? That's me. Everybody has to acknowledge this reality. Jesus says, go and sin no more. Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Did you know that? He came into this world not to save the righteous. Listen, if you're righteous, Jesus didn't come to save you. If you're, sitting, if you're at home and you're sitting here in the in-house and you're thinking to yourself, eh, I'm a pretty good guy. Jesus didn't come to save you. You're, you're, good luck with that. Like you're going to get measured against Jesus someday, so good luck. But if you don't think that you're a sinner, Jesus did not come to save you. You're probably thinking to yourself, Craig, that's awfully harsh. 
I just got it out of the Bible. Here's what it says in Luke 5.32. Jesus himself said, I have not come to call who? I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, unless you realize you're a sinner, you got nothing to repent from. You have to admit, this is you. Jesus voiced the truth for this woman because she needed to see it. She needed to see what sin was doing in her, in her life. It is not a loving thing to overlook sin. If you've got sin running around rampant in your house, it's not a loving thing to let it go. You watch where it goes. It'll, it'll divide. It'll conquer. It'll destroy. That's what it does. Sin lives to destroy. It'll come at you and it'll couch itself in all kinds of wonderful pleasures and all of that. Ultimately, it will steal your soul. If you know a disease is killing your child, you would probably do something to counter the disease. In the same way, Jesus knows sin is killing this woman and killing us, and so he says to us, I'm not gonna overlook your sin. I just need you to acknowledge it. Before Jesus reveals his forgiveness, I'm sorry, before admonishing the woman, he reveals his forgiveness. I love that about Jesus. You don't stop sinning so you can have Jesus. You need Jesus so you can stop sinning. You see the difference? If you're getting sold something in your religion where you have to be good enough in order to have a relationship with Jesus, that is backwards. That is why at the communion table, you don't need to make your life right with God because Jesus has already done that. You come to the communion table because you know who you are and who Jesus is to you. You don't stop sinning so that you can receive forgiveness. You stop sinning because you find someone to love more than your sin. The main question is, if the woman had not received Jesus' offer, would she still have been forgiven? Let that sink in just for one moment. If the woman had not received Jesus' offer, would she still be forgiven? Or if you want to ask it a different way, does Jesus forgive everyone. That is a very good question because the offer is here, the payment is made, but you can opt out. You can say, I can pay for this dinner no matter how long it takes me. I'm going to pay for this dinner. I don't need any help. And you can opt out of forgiveness. Listen, if, if you believe that Jesus forgives everyone and you're selling it like cheap grace. You're, you're missing a big, big part of what Jesus' forgiveness is all about. Jesus doesn't come to save us and then just you know, plod ahead with life. He comes to save us and give us a new life. Forgiveness doesn't come cheap, and it is not automatic. Listen, if forgiveness was automatic, what do we have a hell for? If everybody just gets forgiven, why is there hell? And listen, if you think that there's no hell, that's just an old-fashioned concept. Again, read the Gospels. It's one of Jesus' top 10 subjects that he talks about. Why does Jesus talk about hell so much? My guess is he knows what it's like, and he doesn't want us to go there. Matthew 10, 28. Don't fear those who can kill the body, but, kill the, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus has paid for our sins and he wants desperately for us to accept forgiveness. I take it back to an illustration that we did last week. It was a great illustration and Jonathan has been sitting on pins and needles to hear the end of this illustration because Jonathan is a car wrecker. I le I, let's say that I give Jonathan my car and he goes out. You remember the story that I told last week? He goes out and he wrecks just wrecks the living daylights out of my car. Like, he takes a sledgehammer, takes it to the youth group and says, it's Craig's car, he won't do anything with it, let's beat the living daylights out of this thing, right? Then he brings it back to me and he says, hey Craig, uh, I wrecked your car and uh, what, I'm, I'm really sorry about that and uh, you know, can I, have your can I have your other car so I can wreck that too? And I'm thinking to myself, that's not very fair, Jonathan, I thought you were, I was going to have actually a picture of a car wrecked right up here, that'd be fun. But I, I, I was going, Jonathan, that's not like you. No, I've been hurt. I, I, and then Pat comes along. You remember Pat? He's, he's the wonderful you know, guy that comes along. And he says, whoa, what's going on here? And I say, Jonathan wrecked my car. Now he wants to wreck my another car. And he's not sorry. He just wants to do it all over again. And Pat says, oh, Jonathan, did you do that? And Jonathan says, yeah, yeah, yeah I don't care. And then, and then Pat says, hang on, hang on. Jonathan, I forgive you. 
And I'm going, what the? <laughs> it's my car. What do you, what do you forgive? Pat, you got nothing to do with this. Why are you forgiving Jonathan for wrecking my car, right? That's where we left it last week. But let me add a little something to it this week. What if the car, I'm outraged because Pat looks at me and he says, Craig, why are you so mad? I say, well, not only did he wreck my car, but I had $50 million in the trunk. And now he's wrecked it, burned it, and it's all gone. I, I need that back. He spent it. <laughs> he spent it. It'd take a lot to spend that. I, I, but I, I could say to him, I didn't tell you, there was, a, there was $50 million in the car. And so Pat looks at me, and he says, Craig, so what overall is it worth? And I said, well, well I, need, I need this much money, and I need the $50,000, and I, this is how much my damages are. And Pat says, don't worry, Craig. And Pat writes me a check for whatever I ask for and covers the bill. Now that is a better illustration because that is what Christ has done. I have been wrong. God has been wrong. Somebody has to pay the bill. The adulterer, not Jonathan, but the adulteress here in this story, her, she has sin. She needs that sin paid for. Jesus pays for the sin. Pat pays for the car. See the illustration there? That's better. But what if I had another thing? What if Jonathan says, wait a minute, Pat, I don't need your help. I don't need your stinging help. I can, I can cover this. Craig's, I, I'll pay Craig back. I'll, I'll, do, I'll get three extra jobs. I'll work hard. I'll, I'll, I'll work day and night, and I'll make sure that Craig gets paid back. And Pat's going, Jonathan, I can write the, I can write the check right here. I can take care of this. And, and, and Jonathan's going, no, 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 I don't want it. I will pay Craig back. So Pat says, okay, good luck. So Jonathan goes out, he gets four more jobs, but he's a car wrecker, so he has to borrow other people's cars and he keeps wrecking them. And he just racks up all these wrecked cars and he has to pay this family back and that family back. And by the end of the story, Jonathan is, is, is sadly in debt. He is hopelessly in debt. He can never, no matter how hard this poor guy works, he will never pay the bill. He is in debt. He owes. The saddest part of that funny illustration is simply this. There are people that live their lives just that way. They think to themselves they can impress God. They can pay their bill. They can do everything in their lives to make God impress with them. They don't need Jesus. They don't need his sacrifice. They are going to impress God with how good they can be. And it doesn't matter how good you can be. You have, you have a bill that is outstanding and it will come into play someday. When I stand before God, God is not going to look at me and say, let's pretend none of this ever happened. He's going to look at me and say, yeah, Craig, uh, I know who you were, but you're not that way anymore. Jesus has paid your bill. Forgiveness is offered to everyone but accepted by some. The offer is still there, but eventually we realize, hopefully before long, we're in too deep, we can't pay our own bill, and we need help. No matter how much Jonathan is determined to pay his bill, he simply never will be able to pay it. He must take Pat's offer. Forgiveness costs Jesus more than we know, in order to make us this offer. But still some choose not to accept it. So the question is, is would this woman have been forgiven if she didn't accept it? And the answer is no. She had to accept that Jesus would pay her bill. She didn't get right before she accepted it. She didn't become not an adulterer before she accepted it. The offer is there. The offer is there for all of us. While we are still sitting, Christ died for us. The offer is there. You must accept it. So what? First of all, forgiveness like this does not come easily. This kind of forgiveness that forgives all people, all time, everywhere, cost Jesus his life. It cost God his son. Jesus chose to suffer under the hand of a holy father so that I would not have to. In Isaiah 53, 5, 
700 years before Jesus was born, these words were written, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Insert the word sin. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and by his wounds. Who, who are healed, church? By his wounds, we are healed. Jesus pays the bill, our bill. This is the whole gospel. This is the crux of what we preach. This is what makes a church healthy, staying on this course, preaching this message on a regular basis. It's not feeling better about your sin. My job is not to make you feel like God is okay with you. He'll adjust to your foibles and you can have a relationship with a God because his love is greater than his judgment. That's baloney. God is equal in all his attributes. He must judge sin because he is holy. But he loves you too much to let you die in your sin. Jesus' perfect life will give us freedom. It sets imperfect people free. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, my sins rival all the sins that you know, Craig. Uh, let's go back to scripture. Noah was a drunkard. Abraham was a liar. Isaac was a manipulator. Jacob was a thief. Joseph was a braggart. Moses was a murderer with anger management problems. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon was a doubter. Samson was a lover of self. David was an adulterer. Peter was a traitor. And Paul the apostle straight up murdered people. God has always been about rising people up from their sin and giving them a new start. Let me tell you, the bucket's there. The ding is there. But you've got to go stand under it. Number two, forgiveness is offered to all. There's not a person in this room, there's not a person watching online that is not represented in this story. Picture it, the crowd is standing around. They stand watching. They stand seeing, watching Jesus forgive this adulteress. They will walk away, never experiencing it for themselves. It's just quite a show today. They will walk away, never changed. They are spectators. And maybe you've been a spectator for a long time of Jesus Christ. You watch what he does in the lives of others and you think to yourself, that's pretty cool and you keep walking. Easter, Christmas, Easter, Christmas, Easter, Christmas and never the never the punch, never the realization, Jesus is for you. Some are like the crowd, they walk away, they never get changed, they never experience anything for themselves. Some are like the rulers. I hope you're not like the rulers. Some are, they were sinners, but they felt more comfortable pointing out the sins of others than pointing out their own sins. These kind of people make great politicians. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, but there you go. They walked away from Jesus, their only hope of being forgiven. And instead of saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm just like her, I need your forgiveness too. All they did was they dropped this stone to pick up another stone. They moved from this spot to condemn this woman to another spot to condemn another person. Some are like the rulers. And six months from this day, they would be standing in the streets of Jerusalem calling for Jesus' blood. Some are like the woman. I hope I'm like the woman. They hear the grace that Jesus offers. They run to it. Some limp to it. Some drag themselves to it. Some are broken so much they're on the ground. And all they can do is, if you've ever watched The Passion of the Christ, is a great picture because it gives this story and it has this woman grabbing the ankles of Jesus Christ. Some have to drag themselves to Jesus because their lives are so broken. But the forgiveness that woman receives is the same abundant forgiveness that I receive. It is the same dose of forgiveness that you receive. It is a forgiveness that forgives all. Past, present, future. While we are sinning, Christ died for us. God knows very well who you are. He doesn't need a crowd to condemn you. <laughs> he, he doesn't need the list of accusers, uh, uh, accusations against you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he still offers you grace. Listen, I know sin has damaged some people more than others. 
Some people carry around their past on their shoulders and it's very difficult for that to get released. Some are carrying burdens here today from things that have happened in their past and they, it just eats away at the back of their minds. But I'm here to tell you this morning, this is why you're here on a good day. God is offering his reach of grace to go as deep into your life as possible to take that sin, release it, and let you know you are not condemned. Sin and despair like the sea waves cold threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater yet grace untold points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Grace has been offered to you since the moment you were born so that someday you might look up and wonder where all that water is coming from. Last one, forgiveness is absolute. It is absolutely effective. What I mean by that is God's grace drenches us from the head to the foot. It not only covers our sins, it, it eradicates that sin from our account. That woman will never be referred to as an adulterer. Isn't that great? She is. She was. But Jesus will never refer to her as the adulterer. You see, because pegging you in your sin is a tactic of the evil one. It's not what God does. God releases us of our sin. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of spirit of life has made us free from the law of sin and death. You know what that means? Every believer in Jesus Christ has been so much forgiven, they can put their heads on their pillows at night and know there's no condemnation. Don't let your sin define you. Let Jesus define you. That woman would be forever referred to by God and by those who see her from now on as a sister in Jesus Christ. And it should be received absolutely. This, absol uh, this forgiveness, this absolution, this forgiveness that we receive should also be received absolutely. Remember the bu bucket at the Great Wolf Lodge? Some have only experienced it from, from a viewpoint from afar. They're, 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 the, they're the witnesses. They've seen other people walk over there and the, the bucket of God's grace tips and it pours over other people and they say, those people are so fortunate. They look like they're having a lot of fun. Look at that. They're like totally drenched. They're laughing and they're like, I don't want to go over there. I could, uh, could lose my shorts and that'd be really embarrassing. So I'm just going to stay over here and watch them over there. Some people have seen other, period, other people experience it. And, and maybe they've gotten a little splashed on the side, but they've never realized what they're missing. They haven't really taken it on for themselves. Some people believe that when that bucket tips over, nothing but nuts and bolts come out. Some people believe that God is just waiting to bang them on the head with a big nut and bolt bucket of nut and bolt. They can't wait for God to bash them over the head once, they realize, once he realizes how bad they really are. That, you couldn't be so, so much farther from the truth. If people tell you that, they're only trying to get power over you so that they can get you to do what they want you to do. That's abuse. God's grace is never buckets of bolts. God's grace is always a purifying water that comes out and cleanses us from all sin. Some people believe they're not worthy of this kind of grace. They think to themselves, those people over there that are under the bucket of water, they're... You know, they, they've obviously done this before. They're the right kind of people to be over there, but I'm not that kind of a person. I met a lady like that this week, actually. And I, without giving too much, I did a favor for her, and she's, she's bought the lie that she's not good enough to receive the grace that other, other people receive breaks my heart. You see, some, some people, they just know what they've done. They know Jesus knows what they've done and they can't believe that he would ever forgive them. But church, listen, let me remind you and you've got to tell people, people have to accept this forgiveness as their own. 
Forgiveness is, is absolute. It's, it's for everyone. It's, it's not free. Jesus paid for it, but you have got to receive it. You've got to get off your keister and go stand under the bucket. You've got to allow Jesus' forgiveness to flow over you. So the question is, will you accept his payment for your sin? Will you look at Pat and say, you, know, you don't know Pat, but will you look at in the illustration and say, I accept your payment. I cannot pay it myself. Will you accept his forgiveness? Does Jesus forgive all? Absolutely, but you've got to accept it. John 7, 37, I finish with this. Our verse that we talked about last week a little bit on the last day of the feast. Remember the feast, Sukkot, the tents, you remember all that? On the last day of the feast, the great day, the day, the finale, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There are no qualifiers. There's no preparation. If you want Jesus, if you want forgiveness, if you want guilt-free living, accept his forgiveness. It's as easy as that. In fact, it's almost too easy. We want it to be harder. We want to bleed. But somebody has already bled for us. There are no qualifiers. God stands ready to release that bucket. The ding is going. The bucket's tipping. You've got you to run over and accept it as your own. Let that water flow over around you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Church, lift up your head and drink this amazing grace. Let's pray. Father God, I... I'm grateful for our time this morning as we've talked about forgiveness and how you deal with us and our sin. You can't overlook it. You can't pretend it's not there. You, it costs you your life. But you have paid the cost my sin demanded and I'm so grateful for that. We're about to sing a song, Lord, that, that declares this. And I pray, Father, as we sing these words, we, you would do what you need to do in our hearts to remind us of the grace that we have received, grace that we did not deserve, cannot earn, and we are welcomed into it. Thank you, Father, for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you that there is no price that, we ca- we cannot, uh, that cannot be reached because your blood has forgiven all sins. May you use this church to continue to change the world so that we can preach this gospel to a culture that desperately wants to play victim or say how much they've been hurt or hang on to their pain. May, Lord, you teach them that you are a God that doesn't cherish pain, but you are a God that cherishes grace, and your grace covers a multitude of sins. So I pray this all in Jesus' name.